chromosome. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. It's time now for the People's War Radio Show, where we do talk about the main virus. And that is colonialism. Here on the People's War Radio Show, we talk with healthcare workers, activists, revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems. Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. The St. Louis City Justice Center is a municipal jail located in downtown St. Louis. At 9 p.m. on April 4th, 2021, incarcerated Africans being held behind bars in the St. Louis Justice Center rose up and disrupted business as usual. In protest, incarcerated people broke the locks on their cells, busted out the windows, and proceeded to throw chairs, tables, and other furniture from the jail and set several fires. Large crowds of family, friends, and supporters gathered for hours outside of the St. Louis Justice Center in support of the incarcerated men. This protest was not new. The inmates have been protesting the deplorable living conditions as well as refusal of court dates for many of them. This was the second uprising in two months at the Justice Center. The first uprising happened on February 5th. Similarly, inmates at the St. Louis Workhouse, a medium security prison on the north side operated by the city of St. Louis, rebelled for the same reasons in the summer of 2017. The 2017 protests made national news after several inmates were heard crying for help after enduring temperatures as high as 110 degrees with no air conditioning. The workhouse in St. Louis Justin Center embodied the history of colonial capitalist oppression in St. Louis and throughout the U.S. The workhouse is actually called the St. Louis Medium Security Institution. In its contemporary form, it was built in 1966, located in the African community of North St. Louis and built at the height of the African Revolution of the 1960s, the workhouse has functioned as a form of counterinsurgency. The name and roots of the workhouse date back to an 1843 civil ordinance that allowed for debt peonage. According to journalist Chris Nafingzer, the city laws allowing for the workhouse are the last of the original civic initiatives from the early 19th century. 
The St. Louis Justice Center was built in downtown St. Louis in 2002 and was boasted as a state-of-the-art facility that boasted of its impermeability and the requirements to guarantee humane treatment of inhabitants in a November article published in St. Louis Today in November 2002. In contrast, inmates have broke out of their cells and broke the windows out on at least five occasions due to their inhumane treatment. On April 24th, newly elected mayor Tashara Jones, Congresswoman Cori Bush, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, among others, held a press conference after visiting both facilities. Each reported that there was mold and bugs, among other conditions that were not fit for humans to live. Jones stated the workhouse will close by next year. Let's listen to an excerpt from that press conference featuring St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, U.S. Congresswoman Cori Bush, and Kayla Reed of Action St. Louis. We talked to detainees in both facilities. We toured several uh, places within both facilities. Um, and I, I think I speak for all three of us by saying we were very disappointed and shocked and frustrated by what we saw. Had you seen the filth, the utter filth, the trash, the bugs, floors that are different color than what they really should be. That behind these walls, injustice is a regular occurrence. Behind these walls, we are denying the humanity and the decency and the rights of hundreds of individuals. The majority of them are black. That was Tashara Jones, Corey Bush, and Kayla Reed. In contrast, on May 14th, an article published on KMOV.com reported that several members of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen said the conditions were not that bad. Among these aldermen was Third Ward Alderman Brandon Bosley. Bosley has famously called for the deployment of the National Guard and voted in favor of the use of spy planes against the African community of North St. Louis in response to crime. To discuss this with us today on the People's War Radio Show, we have the Black Power Blueprints, Abdullah Alexander. Abdullah is a member of the African People's Socialist Party and the outreach coordinator for the Black Power Blueprint. The Black Power Blueprint has refurbished dilapidated buildings, built a community center, and is launching a farmer's market next month in North St. Louis. It is currently organizing a workforce program providing housing and training in St. Louis for people coming out of prison. Abdullah was himself incarcerated for over 27 years. Welcome, Comrade Abdullah. Uhuru, Comrade. Uhuru, Matsumela, it's a great honor and privilege to be on this revolutionary show. So, Abdullah, on April 4th, several inmates at the St. Louis Justice Center broke out of their cells and busted out the windows in protest of their conditions. Can you tell us what you've heard about that night? Uh, comrade. Yeah, that's, this was an absolute act of desperation because these inmates, uh, they know that with, with no uncertain terms that they're going to be brutally oppressed. So they must be living under some horrible, horrendous conditions for them to take that type of action where they're breaking out windows and they're throwing chairs out, they're setting fires. They living under desperate conditions. They, you know, these, you see these slaves in tattered rags 
ill-fed, ill-clad. That's the same conditions that's going on at this house, at this justice center, where people have court dates that they're not, you know, being taken to. They're spending years, you know, incarcerated, you know, without uh, with bails that they can't make, that they can possibly, that they cannot possibly make. So just living under these conditions, being ill-fed, being brutalized, being oppressed, and, you know, you just, it, you come to a point where you're so desperate that it's do or die. You know, I need his freedom of death. You know, these conditions, I cannot live under these conditions. So you take these drastic measures into your own hands and knowing that the consequences could possibly be fatal. But yeah, I've heard that, you know, that this is the reason for the uprising is the, just the continued oppression, just the continued, you know, slave-like conditions that these brothers are living under. You know, just the brutality of it, just the inhumanity of it. And it's just, it gets to a point where, you know, you just can't, you know, just like the slaves, they would have to leave the plantation. They would run off. You know, they would kill the master after the, the oppression became so brutal that it's just, you can't stand it no more. You have to do something. Uhuru, Uhuru. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. So on February 5th, they had an uprising at the St. Louis Justice Center before the one in April. And there has been a constant outcry to close the workhouse down. As we we're talking about the resistance of these inmates, there is not new. Can you tell us um, anything else about the conditions they face behind those bars? It's, again, it's just brutal conditions. You have these collaborators, you know, these so-called aldermen, so-called people that's that's there to represent the people that's really there to facilitate the system. They, you know, they're sellouts, opportunists, and they benefit from the colonial jails and the colonial prisons, the colonial system. You know, they don't have any uh, jobs for our people, so they're in favor of incarcerating them. They're in favor of spy planes flying over the neighborhood, flying over the community because they bankrupt in terms of ideals to try to bring economics to the community, to employ our people. So, again, it's, it's just living under these brutal conditions where you're unable to make bail. You have these high bails and, you you know, you're not being fed properly. You're not being clothed properly. And you're living under uh, the, the conditions, these hot conditions, the cold conditions in the winter where you, you're uncomfortable in the summer, you're uncomfortable and not able to see your people, you know, not able to talk to your people. They, I know they... You know, they operate these prisons and jails as an economic system. You know, they charge you all this money to eat on the commissary. First, they will feed you deplorable food, so that will force you to try to buy something from the commissary, right, Just if you want to have enough to eat. So a lot of these brothers and sisters, the reason why they're in jail is because they don't have enough to eat, because they, they're unemployed, and so they have to live off the so-called street economy. The only thing that the colonial uh, oppressive system have, has left to them, because they have deprived them but a legitimate means by which to sustain themselves. So they have to turn their force, you know, in this, this colonial milieu, they're forced to turn to a so-called life of crime in order to feed, house, and clothe themselves. So it's, again, like Malcolm said, they break your legs, then call you crippled. It's the case of Frankenstein creating a monster, then want to destroy the monster that he created. But it's all by design, uh, brothers. So that's, that's the reason for these uprisings. That's the reason for the outcry about these conditions because they are just absolutely deplorable. And, it's, and, and these, these uh, sellouts and opportunists and collaborators among our so-called, so-called leaders in the community, they must, they must be dealt with. This situation has to be addressed. We have to organize. We have to politicize. We have to demonstrate, demonstrate. And it's a revolutionary struggle that just must be waged. That's the only way that we're going to overturn these colonial conditions is through revolution. Right on, right on, comrade. I appreciate that. I appreciate that analysis. 
Now, how has COVID-19 impacted the conditions Africans have been facing behind bars? Well, yeah, that, I mean, if you were, were oppressed before, you now you <laughs> even more so because now the office don't, don't want to come in contact with you. You can't get visits. Your, your people can't come to the jail to visit you. You know, so you're even more isolated. You know, this this can have a psychological effect on you already dealing with this criminal just us system. You're already facing whatever you facing. And so you living under that condition, you're already being ill clad, you're already being ill fed. You know, you 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 know, the police, you may be suffering violence from officers, you know, because it's a mechanism of control. And the way that they control you is through fear. You know, so again, uh, brothers, whenever somebody, you know, would, would uh, rise up in rebellion, it's because they're living under desperate conditions. And so uh, that's the reason why, uh, well, well, COVID, going back to the COVID-19 question, it just made a bad situation worse because now they can use this to justify isolating you, justify, you know, locking you into your cell 24 hours a day. You don't have any recreation. You don't have any movement. You know, so you just sitting there, you know, and this, again, it can have a devastating psychological effect on the person, you know, just sitting for years in some place. You know that this COVID has been going on for over a year and a half now. So it's, it's just a very depressing situation that, you know, we need to shine some light on and with the hopes of, of bringing some type of justice, you know, for our people, some type of solution for our people, because they cannot continue to live under these conditions. Really, it's not living. Uhuru, Uhuru, thanks for that, Abdullah. Thanks for shedding light on these inhumane conditions that Africans have to face. Uh, yes, sir. You know, I, I don't. I won't say it's my pleasure, you know, but it's my duty, you know, to shed light on these conditions. It's our duty as Africans, you know, to shed light on these conditions. It's our duty to aid and assist our brothers and our sisters because, you know, that could be us and that will be us. You know, if any time that they arrest us and we're unable to make bail, we're going to be subjected to them same conditions. I don't care if you're a rich African or a poor African. You know, if you were incarcerated, you're going to be subjected to these same conditions. And, you know, we used, the brother was talking about the peonage. And this is just another means of mechanism by which they re-enslave our people because even they so-called out the uh, Constitution, they say that neither peonage or involuntary servitude would exist except that you have been duly convicted. So they've just been re-enslaving our brothers and sisters by taking them through this criminal justice system putting this X on their back or putting this conviction on their back so that they can exploit them as slaves, so that they can, they can you know, instill fear in our people, fear in our community to prevent us from acting, to prevent us from organizing because of fear of repression, fear, fear of reprisal, fear of being locked up, fear of being incarcerated, you know, fear of being deprived of that relationship with your loved ones. And it's just an ongoing, unending process that only revolution is the solution to. Uhuru. Uhuru, uhuru. Thanks for mentioning that because, Abdullah, these uprisings at the St. Louis Justice Center and Workhouse are not isolated. How can we understand these uprisings as part of the wave of African resistance, especially since the police murder of George Floyd almost a year ago? It's this it's colonial violence. It's that vertical colonial violence that's being inflicted on our people that's awakening us all over. We, we are seeing this now because of Facebook, now because of the cameras, you know, the, that are ubiquitous, that you actually see the brutality that, that is being visited on our people on a daily basis. Daily, there's some African being slain. Daily, there's some African being beaten unconscious. Unarmed African being beaten unconscious. Unarmed, 
unarmed African being uh, just just shot down like a dog in the street. So as our people see this more and more, you know, we are getting more uh, politicized. You know, we are getting more angry about this and we want a solution. We're tired of this. We're tired of protesting. We're tired of doing the same thing. You know, it's like these uh, crop and, and shop and these ambulance chasers. Every time something occurred, they, they speed to the scene. They get flown into the scene. And the first thing, they, we're going we gonna to get some money. We're going to get some money. You know, that's all we're about is getting some money. We want justice. You know, we want justice for our people. We want this colonial oppression to end. And the only way that colonialism is going to end is that we got to overthrow this colonial system. But, yeah, that's that's where we at, brothers. Uh, uh, sad to say or glad to say, because once we know, you know, our condition, once we know the situation that we're in, what we're up against, then that gives us the ability to analyze this situation and come up with some concrete solutions. But as long as we being hypnotized and we're in denial about our conditions, we can never find a, a solution because we're in denial about the true nature of the conditions that we're living under. So again, the, just the fact that this has become ubiquitous in terms of being portrayed on television and, you know, so people saying this, you know, even the, the so-called well-off Africans, they know that they could be subjected to this colonial violence at any time. So even they are looking for some solutions. They are looking to an end to this violence. But we have to, as the vanguard, we have to get in front of this question and we have to bring that African internationalist uh, theory perspective to this so that our people can see clearly, you know, what the solution to this ongoing crisis is. Uhuru. Uhuru. Hip hop is one African working class art form that has consistently addressed the issue of mass imprisonment of African people, much like the blues had done before it. Let's listen to the Dead Press track, Behind Enemy Lines. From their 2000 album, Let's Get Free. Hello. Collect call from Ness. Where are you? You're crazy, boo. Yo, know, I miss you. Yo, one, can, can you put some money in my commissary? Lord Kenny been smoking Lucy since he was 12. Now he 25, locked up with a L. They call him Triple K, cause he killed three. Another ghetto child got turned into a killer. His pops was a Vietnam veteran on heroin. Used like a pawn by these white North Americans. Mama couldn't handle the stress and went crazy. Grandmama had to raise the baby, just a young boy. Born to a life of poverty. Hustling, robbery, whatever brung the paper home. Carried the chrome like a blind man. Hola cane tattoos all over his chest so you could know his name. But y'all know how the game go. D's kicked in the front door and guess who they came for? A young had it for the pen, could've been, should've been, never see the hood again. Behind enemy lines, the cell makes most of the youth never escape the jail fake. Super maximum camps will advance their game plan to keep us in the hands of the man locked up behind enemy lines. The cell makes most of the youth never escape the jail fake. Super maximum camps will advance their game plan to keep us in the hands of the man locked up. Cuando yo llamo es como tú no me quieres escuchar. No visto mis hijos, mi mujer, no me mandan retrato, no tengo dinero, estoy aquí jodido en la cárcel, metido. You ain't got to be locked up to be in prison, look how we living, 30,000 a day, up in the bin, standard routine, they put us in a box, just like our life on the block. You ain't got to be locked up to be in prison, look how we living, 30,000 a day, up in the bin, standard routine, they put us in a box, just like our life on the block. Behind enemy lines. That was Dead Prez with Behind Enemy Lines from their album, Let's Get Free. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. 
Our guest today is Abdullah Alexander. Abdullah, you were a member of the African People's Socialist Party and also work with the Black Power Blueprint. Point six in the 14-point platform of the African People's Socialist Party states, we want the immediate and unconditional release of all Black people who are presently locked down in U.S. prisons. We believe that all the African men and women who are locked down in the U.S. concentration camps, commonly known as prisons, are there due to decisions, laws, and circumstances which were created by aliens and foreigners for their own benefit as a means of genocidal colonialist control. We believe that these decisions, laws, and circumstances were created and are enforced without our consent and are therefore illegitimate. We believe that the African men and women who are locked down in these concentration camps are victims of U.S. colonialist ruling class justice, which maintains our enslavement and terrorizes our people. Abdullah, in what ways do you see this continuing in 2021? <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder can see it <laughs> continuing in 2021. I mean, it should be plain, apparent, and you know, evident and obvious to anyone with eyes to see. You know, ears to hear, you know, that we are continuing to suffer under the same colonial violence that was inflicted on us when they enslaved uh, us, you know, brought us from Africa and put us in chains. We we didn't get on those ships and boats voluntarily. You know, we, we were brutalized. You know, they captured us. You know, they captured us. You know, we had resisted, but they captured us. They had superior arms, superior weapons, but we resisted mightily, right? But they captured us and they enslaved us. They put us on these ships. You know, they brought us over here. We didn't come over here voluntarily. Then they enslaved us and they worked us from can't see in the morning to can't see at night. Right. Then they brutalized us. They told, you know, they took our culture from us, took our religion from us, you know, took, you know, broke down our family structure, stripped us of our family structure, stripped us of our identity and brutalized us like animals, brutalized us like beasts. Right. And they did this to us. They inflicted this on us. And the only way that they let us out, let us, you know, we, we kept rebelling, we kept resisting. And it was so inhumane the treatment that other Europeans started questioning, you know, the, the legality of this or the, the, the rightness of this, right? And you, you calling yourself a Christian, you calling yourself a Jew, you calling yourself a Muslim, but you allowing these conditions to exist, you allowing these human beings to be brutalized like this. So through our own resistance is how, how slavery came, even we fought in the Civil War, you know, viciously. To over to get our freedom, right? We fought against these things. And so this same system exists now. Again, we're talking about that colonial milieu, that colonial pressure cooker that shapes you, that, that distorts you, that deforms you, right? The black codes, the black laws, everything that they've done to us to keep us from rising as a people. Even when black people got out of slavery and, and built communities and towns that became prosperous, they were burnt to the ground from jealous colonists, right? Burnt to the ground. And even during slavery, when it was, a, it was against the law to teach a slave how to read. So they debilitate you and then say, see, he's ignorant. He can't read. But they, they made it against the law to teach you how to read. But you still have people like Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, and others, you know, who, who <laughs> learned how to read, right? Who rebelled in spite of all that that was inflicted on because they still had that human... Uh, torch that was inside of them, that, that desire to be free. So we still had that going on. These present day jails, again, once they have convicted you, they can re-enslave you. 
I was working, I myself was incarcerated for 27 and a half years straight. They had me working the data entry. They had me working the sign shop. They had me working the kitchen. They paying you $15 a month, $25 a month. When I was doing data entry, they made it, you may get three or $400 a month. So that's the top flight prison job. You get three or $400 a month, but you generating ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 of work every month, but you can be a slave. They can do that to you. So it's just an ongoing process of how they, they incarcerate you for tickets. You can't pay these tickets. So they're going to put you in jail. So they get, you know, one of the, one thing I learned, brothers, is that this this prison industrial complex is a, a money making machine. When I was incarcerated in Illinois, they were building this this prison, the thirty five hundred bed prison. And the state of Illinois ran out of money. The economy got disrupted. But in the process of them building that that prison, that thirty five hundred uh, bed prison, businesses we you know were attracted to their gas station started opening. Anticipation of these inmates coming, and you know thirty five hundred inmates, you got thirty five hundred families potentially traveling outside of Chicago, the Chicago area, out here to this rural white community where they locate this prison, jobs for white people. Construction jobs for white people, jobs for white restaurants, white hotels, white gas stations. You know, so they just was using our people. Again, we being enslaved and we being colonized and we being exploited. So I want to stop right there. I may have uh, gone on. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru. Thanks for that. Chairman Omalia Shetela, leader of the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru movement, has defined the police as domestic military forces used to contain African communities. We know that the origins of the police are in the colonial enslavement of African people. And this continues with the mass incarceration of African people today. In short, we cannot talk about prisons without talking about police. St. Louis, like other cities with a high concentration of African people, also has a high police presence. What is the African experience with heavy-handed police containment in St. Louis? It's the same as everywhere, you know, where the, the colonial police are there to keep us in check, you know, to to instill terror and fear in us, to keep us from rising up, to keep us from rebellion, rebelling, to keep us from, you know, even protesting too much. You know, they put you under these harsh conditions where you can't survive. You cannot survive. Right. You can't survive in, in St. Louis. You don't have a job unless you go to that underground economy. And this is what they have. This is by design, brothers, so that they can capture you, so that they can recapture you. It's just like, um, you know, how they, you know, I don't even want to, you know, make that example. I was going to make an example. But I only want to, you know, compare our people to no animals, but just you know, the illustration of how they trap animals, how they bait you, you know, how they wave this carrot or this, this stick or this meat in front of you. Right. And then when you come at it, you know, you fall into this trap. So this is how they entrap our people. They first, they make sure that you're hungry. They make sure that you're desperate. You know, they make sure that you don't have no alternative other than to do some, you know, to some what they have defined as a crime. Right. So this is how they continue to exploit us. And they use the police, you know, as a, as a mechanism of control, as a mechanism of oppression, again, as a mechanism of fear. And that's what they're there to keep us contained to keep us, you know, on the plantation or, or more or less or to run us off the plantation in this uh, sense in St. Louis because they want to, this area is going intensive gentrification. And so now they want to run after, they have no no purpose and no use for the Africans. So now they want to run us out of these communities. So they make it, you know, uh, where we can't exist. 
and here they raise up the rents, right? And they they allow you know just the buildings to become dilapidated and this and that in certain neighborhoods and communities so that you will move out. They allow the schools to become run down so that you will move out because you want your children to be educated. So you're gonna go somewhere else outside of the city of St. Louis so that you can get them a good education or what you think is a good education or better education than they can get here. So again, all these things are designed to have a cumulative effect. Cumulative effect is to get us out of here or to contain us and you know just keep us in a state of perpetual slavery, perpetual oppression, and uh, perpetual colonization. Uhuru, Uhuru, comrade. Yeah, I think um, it's real important what you said, you know, about how... Uh, you know, the way the police operate in St. Louis is, is the way they operate everywhere, everywhere else. You know, I had a I had a, a, a chance to spend some time out there in St. Louis and was actually out there when, um, you know, when those brothers was uh, busting out those windows. And, you know, um, you know, just like you said, it's, you know, just a, a, a desperate condition that they're in. You know, they broke the locks out. You know what I mean? They uh, busted out the windows, set fires you know, through chairs out the windows. And um, I think, you know, everything that you're saying is is so on point. Um, we know that one out of eight people in prison in the world is an African man incarcerated in the U.S. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, how is prison a form of the colonial oppression of African people? Well, it's, again, it's just, thank you for that question, brother. Again, it's just a mechanism of control. It's a mechanism of dehumanization. It's a mechanism of vilification, you know, to, to make the African male seem as he's some type of desperate criminal. He's no good to society. He's no good to his family. He's no, he should be gotten rid of. So this is just a means by which, you know, they try to televise or to or the people, or they try to indoctrinate them, you know, with this propaganda against the African, you know, to have us locked up. And it's, it's, it's deplorable, but that just shows the conditions that we're living under. It just shows that, that all this is by design. And there's just an example that comes to my mind, the brutality that's inflicted on African. You saw these serial killers or these vicious killers that went into the black community and killed gunned people down and on, but yet they were captured they were armed to the teeth, but they were taken into custody without violence, without incident, you know, without any gunplay. Recently, I don't know if you sh- you may have seen on Facebook where they showed this white guy beating the police up. The police got his gun out, but won't shoot, right? He won't get, stop, stop resisting. He keeps saying that, stop doing this, but he don't shoot this guy, right? So it's, it's just that we have been targeted. You know, again, driving while black, walking while black, talking while black, you know, it's a crime to be black. It's a crime to be poor and black in this country. And that's that's been so for many, for decades and for centuries. Incarceration, mass incarceration is just a tool that the colonists use to control us, that to depopulate, you know, us because I myself was locked up again for 27 and a half years. So just imagine, you know, the children that I may have had. So there's other brothers, brothers that's locked, they ain't never getting out, brothers with natural life. When I was in one certain prison, there was 400 brothers there that ain't never getting out of prison. And some of those brothers, they're not there for murder. They're for because they had a third-class ex-felon, because they had a third-armed robbery, or they had a third burglary, or they had a third UUW. So now they, they these class X laws um, uh, enable them to be incarcerated for the rest of their life. But they're going to spend $250,000 you know that for ten years, I think it's twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars incarcerated inmate for one year, 
right? So they they making all type of money off of us, but it's just another mechanism of exploitation, another mechanism of control, and another mechanism of colonialism. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uhuru, uhuru. Yeah, uh, Abdullah, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Because, uh, you, you know, you made a very uh, important point that prison also serves as a form of population control. And uh, we know that uh, population control is actually uh, central to uh, counter uh, 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 insurgency, uh, the way through which um, they actually assault the earth um, is by preventing uh, groups to from 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 reproducing, and we understand that population control pre- prevention of reproduction uh, is central to uh, the you know the definition of genocide. And in fact, that makes me think of another rapper, Jo Felony. Jo began his 1998 album "What You Gonna Do." with a call for Africans behind bars to rebel. In his intro, he stated, I paraphrase, to my brothers in the pen, start a riot. F trying to be quiet. They took the weights, but keep the faith. They took the weights, but keep the faith. In his outro to the album, he clearly identified everything from the unjust sentencing to the prison food as a form of genocide. Let's listen to the outro. The ghetto banging when we sang it. Take a ride with me. Come along. Justice against y'all oppressors. Justice against y'all oppressors. How you gonna give a nigga triple life? What I'm supposed to do? Die two times and come back and do some more time? Public pretenders. Working with the DA, getting niggas stretched. No more shackles on my feet. Why niggas gotta die and pack all the jails? Why Gotta die, pack all the jail. Stir up some shit and make us drink it so we can't reproduce. You can keep your mother Jim Jones juice. You can keep your mother Jim Jones juice. You can keep your mother Jim Jones juice. Man, women, children, listen. We ain't gonna get nowhere cleaning someone else's kitchen. The landlord comes with the notice of eviction. Mama, Dada, uh, drug addiction. Can I escape? Or will they pull me down or will the po-po finally let off a deadly round? Justice against y'all oppressors. Justice against y'all oppressors. Justice against y'all oppressors. Justice against y'all oppressors. I done died twice. Came back. And still gotta do life. Let me out of this mother... Give us free! That was Jail Family's outro from his 1998 album, What You Gonna Do. Now, we were saying earlier that Newly elected mayor of St. Louis, Tashara Jones, Congresswoman Cori Bush, and Circuit Attorney General Kim Gardner all visited the St. Louis Justice Center in the workhouse, and they reported that they were living in deplorable living conditions. And um, Mayor Jones even said that the workhouse will be closed down. So uh, something we wanted to ask, 
What are your thoughts on closing down the workhouse? Uh, I unite with uh, Mayor T'Challa, T'Challa Jones that it should be closed down. There's no reason why it should, should remain open. It's an inhumane place. It doesn't serve any purpose. It's not that many inmates there, you know, but there's jobs there. So that's, you know, again, it's a, it's a mechanism of control. So the colonists, you know, they don't want to let go of that. They don't want to let go of that mechanism. They don't want to let go of that facility where they can incarcerate you, where they can put you, they can jail you. You know, if that closes down, that's that represents quite a defeat for them. This is why they strive and mightily struggling against the closure of it. So now you're seeing, you know, things being said about uh, Mayor Jones, you know, and others who trying to get it closed down. Now you got the African, so-called African leadership fighting against each other, one you know, one group say this, one group say that about the same facilities. So they can't b- both be telling the truth. Uhuru, uhuru. So um, a- another thing that we were talking about is how uh, the board of aldermen um, went down and visited the workhouse and the justice center just last week, I believe it was. And they were saying that the conditions weren't that bad. Um, and, you know, even uh, Alderman Bosley said that, you know, you could wipe your hand on the wall or wipe your hand on the floor and you're not going to pick up dirt and you could drop a sandwich on the ground and all this stuff. What do you think is, you know, the motivation, you know, for some of these aldermen, um, you know, that are Africans to uh, say that the workhouse shouldn't be closed down? Uh, They are collaborators, you know, with the colonial uh, system. You know, they benefit from colonization. You know, they like overseers or, you know, just like these neo-colonist uh, puppet and these African nations, you know, that, that work for the colonizer. So Bosley, he works for the colonizer. Now, see, that they give him his line. He 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 walk in uh, lockstep with their analysis. So, yeah, of course, he's going to say that. So one, the sister, the mayor, the African sister, she said that these are deplorable, unlivable, inhumane conditions. And so then... This collaborator, this stooge, you know, this opportunist, he come behind her and contradict her and say, it's not that bad. What you mean it's not that? It's bad, but it's not that bad. You, okay, why don't you live in there? You know, I bet you he won't live there. I bet you he won't volunteer to live there for three or four days or for a week or for a month. But these brothers are subjected to these conditions day in and day out. So one sister said, well, there's just a few leaky toilets. There's just a few leaky showers. There's water. You know, as if that's that's not bad enough. You know, there's some leaky toilets. That's not bad enough. You know, it had to be worse than that. But you wouldn't live under those same conditions that you said is not that bad. So because you have been incarcerated, that means that you don't have any rights to complain about the condition under which you live in, right? Because again, you're a slave. So you, you cannot say anything about, just like the slave, they said the white man, had, the black man has no rights that the white man is bound to respect. Right. And so this is the same thing. So you got these uh, black people with white minds. So, uh, again, Bosley, he's calling in for spy planes. There's this same Negro that uh, that's contradicting the mayor when she's saying that these are deplorable, unlivable conditions. He's saying that you could eat a sandwich off the floor. OK, but 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 you wouldn't want to drop a sandwich. It is. So he's a clown. And what he's saying is just ridiculous. And again, so it's absurd and asinine, but that but when you try to defend colonialism, that's how you're gonna come off. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power ninety six point three FM in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Abdullah Alexander. Uhura Abdullah, you work with the Black Power Blueprint, where you all are developing 
the Black Power Blueprint Workforce Program Housing. Can you tell us about that program? Oh, man. Yeah, I'd be delighted to tell you about it. It's really powerful. So what we have is the African Independence Workforce Program, the African Independence Workforce Program. So I, I like to place emphasis on that word independence. You know, independence, that's what we fight for liberation. That's what we fight to be independent. So what we are developing is a program for our brothers and sisters returning home from these colonial jails and prisons where they've been debilitated, you know, where they were. Uh, people have striven mightily to dehumanize them, where people have vilified them. So we we trying to uh, create a place for them, a space for them. When they come home, that they'll be living in the fourplex, and we're going to give it an African name. All the rooms will have an African, a revolutionary, one of our revolutionary comrades. The rooms will be named after them. We had already named them. I just <laughs> I won't embarrass myself trying to remember the different names, but Asada Shakur is one of them. So they have these rooms, and they're, you know, uh, so we provide this space for them to come to when they come out of prison, come out of these colonial systems, colonial jails, where they have refrigerator, stove, they have food, they have clothes, they have furniture there. We provide this for our brothers and sisters because we absolutely know that they have to have a hand up coming out of prison. You know, the prison I was in, they gave me $10 when I was released. What the hell am I supposed to do with that? Right? $10. Right, and this is what they doing to our brothers and sisters. They setting you up for failure. Ain't nowhere in the hell you gonna make it. So if I had nowhere to parole to, I, you know, probably probably been back in prison, right? Because you're not gonna starve. You're gonna do something to feed, house, and clothe yourself. So unless you've just been so demoralized that you, okay, I'm gonna live on the street. I'd rather live on the street than go back to jail. And that's the situation. That's the condition you find a lot of our brothers and sisters in that they'd rather live on the street, begging from hand to hand than to go back to prison because living on the street is better being than having a bed in jail. So, but this is why we provide this community this space for our brothers and sisters so that they don't have to commit no crime, that they don't have to go back to jail to have, have some place to stay, have some place to live. So we want to give them this opportunity to reacclimate themselves to the community. To, we want to expose them to what we're doing as African internationalists, as the African People's Education and Defense Fund. We're going to endow them with our philosophy, with our ideology, so that they can see that they are victims, you know, that you're not no horrible criminal, that you are a victim, that you were placed in this community, that you were placed in this environment. And what has happened to you, the experiences that you have underwent were by design. So, and then not only we have this space for them, but we have the Jico Kitchen. Jico uh, Commercial Kitchen and Bakery Cafe that we opening, and this is where we're going to give them skills and culinary arts where they'll be able to cook, they'll be able to maybe get their own businesses, you know, get their own little food trucks and stuff like that with food preparation, food preservation, you know, just cleaning. And so we, you know, the cafe, we're going to uh, relocate our bakery there. So we'll be making pies and stuff. So we'll be teaching these brothers and sisters these skills because we absolutely about you know, aiding and assisting our Af we Africans, and we know what's happening, right? We Africans, so we know that all these brothers and sisters are our brothers and sisters. That we Africans, we want people, and we united with their struggles. So that's what the African Independence Workforce is all about: is providing a place and a space for our sisters and brothers to come out and to stay out and to give them a job so that they can sustain themselves. Because you know that we, our our goal is to be independent, to be free, to be liberated, and to be able to feed, house, and clothe ourselves. Uhuru, uhuru. Thanks for that. Now, let's talk specifically about dual and contending power. I think that the African Independence Workforce Program 
and the workforce program housing that you have identified, which is located in North St. Louis, can be seen as a form of dual and contending power to the workhouse, also located on the north side and the Justice Center downtown. Last year, in an interview with the Burning Spirit newspaper, Deputy Chair Onazanea Shatella, head of the Black Power Blueprint, defined dual and contending power as a strategy, quote, to organize our people to capture all the political, economic, cultural, and social power while we are in the process of taking all the power over our lives away from the white colonial imperialist state. Dual power is the promise that the African working class, under the leadership of the party, is working to destroy the colonial white power that dominates every aspect of our lives, unquote. So I'll ask you this. How do you see the African Independence Workforce Program and the Workforce Program Housing as a form of dual and contending power? Uh, comrade, thank you for that question. This, this is really a powerful you know, program. It's, it's really profound. And, you know, and it's because we're not waiting on the colonizer to do anything for us, to help our people, because we know that they don't want to help us. You know, we know that any Kool-Aid that they give us is spiked with poison. So any solution that they may come up with is really a solution that in the long run is going to be detrimental and not beneficial. You know, any program that they come up with has a dead end, has a, a deadline, has a timeline, and they only going to benefit a few people and mostly the people that administer the program. So that means Negroes with degrees that's able, you know, to, uh, again, administer these programs. So we taking power into our own hands, right? We see the need, you know, to feed, house, and clothe our people. We see the need to provide jobs for our people. So we doing that. So we becoming the power. We become the employers, you know, for the sake of the people, the people. So when we say we, I'm talking about the people. The people are employing ourselves. The people are feeding ourselves. The people are creating institutions, viable institutions, economic institutions to feed, house, and clothe ourselves. That's what we're doing for the people and in the name of the people. And this is how we become that dual and contending power. And, and we becoming this power with the absolute design, with the absolute intention of becoming the sole power in our community. When I mean soul, I mean the only power in our community. It should only be one power. That should be black power that's in the black community. There should be no colonial power in our community. There should be no colonial existence in our community. So this is why we fight mightily, become a dual and contending power with emphasis on contending. We want to contend with them. We want to struggle with them, and we want to overcome them. And we can because we have the solution. We know what the problem is, and we know what the solution is. And so that's why we are able to do what we do. That's how we're able to move how we move because we have a clear analysis of what's wrong and how to make it right. Uhuru. Uhuru. Thank you, comrade. Thank you. Abdullah, this week, the African People's Socialist Party is commemorating African Liberation Day. The theme of this year's African Liberation Day is Build the African Workers' State. Why is this a vital program in our struggle for the liberation of African working class people? Uhuru, comrade Moabi, thank you for that question. Uh, that's key to our liberation. That's key to our success. You know, the work, the African working class, we must lead. That's who must, you know, take over. You know, that's who must have control is the African working class. And this is why this day is so important for us 
is because this is who must lead. The African working class must lead. We must capture power, right? We must lead this revolution. We must be the vanguard of this revolution. We must safeguard this revolution. We must teach this revolution. We must preach this revolution. We must live this revolution. And we got to see this revolution to its completion, to its absolute fruition. And that's why this is important. This is why we organize our people so that we can give them this vital information so that we can give them this vital direction on how to act, when to act, and, you know, and, and just how to go about it. You know, give these sound instructions, this sound analysis that cannot be denied, that cannot be contradicted. So this is why it is important is because it is the African working class that must lead because if the so-called bourgeois lead, we're going to be back in the same. They just want to replace the colonists. They want to be colonists, in fact. They want to be in positions of power. They want to be in positions of control. They want to make more money than they than they need, right? They want to be, you know, the high echelon. They want people to be beneath them, whereas we want all people to be equal. We want everybody to have enough to eat. We want to have everybody to have good good cars, good clothes, good housing, you know, good food, good nutrition. We want that for everybody. Well, the colonist wants it for himself. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru, Abdullah. Yes, sir. So just a quick follow-up on that. Why do you think the workforce program is vital to our liberation, especially, uh, you know, in preparation for our African Liberation Day commemoration? Yeah, who else Who else is really providing concrete solutions and jobs and opportunities for our people? We're not just doing that there. I mean, all up and down, every time that we demolish a building, you know, the African People's Education Defense Fund, the Black Power Blueprint, we hire black contractors. You know, we try to use black contractors to do everything that we're doing to provide jobs for our people. So that's why the African independence workforce is critical to, to this whole entire movement, because this has to be duplicated throughout the colonial states, you know, the, this country. You know, wherever our people are incarcerated and being released, we need to set up that African independence workforce program that's going to bring our sisters in, going to bring our brothers in, you know, somewhere where they can, you know, be fed, somewhere they can be housed, they can be comfortable, that they can get a foot on the ground. We will provide them with opportunity, you know, to work, opportunity for employment so that they can feel you know, good about themselves as Africans. So this is, you know, it's, it's other components to that. It's just not the work, you know, just providing jobs, not just providing housing, but providing, you know, re-educating our people, you know what I'm saying, and, and doing them, um, you know, with this theory of African internationalism, you know what I'm saying, empowering them. That's the word I'm searching for, empowering them with this concept, with this theory of African internationalism so that they can identify themselves as Africans, so that they can move as Africans, so that they can think as Africans, right? Then that restores your dignity. That restores your pride. When you know that it's, it's proud, it's, it's pride in being a worker. It's pride in being a provider, right? It's, it's, a, it's pride in doing for yourself. It's pride in being independent, self-sufficient, and able to call your own shots, right? Able to build your own community as we used to do when we were freed from slavery, when we freed ourselves from slavery, right? Because we, you know what I'm saying? We were, were a critical, essential part of that, of that declaration, you know, because we weren't going to continue to be slaves. So, you know, that's the, the mentality that we want to reinstill in our people. You know, this vanguard, this, this uh, militant resistance, right? That, uh, you know, to resist is militant, to resist is African, to resist is beautiful, to resist is revolutionary. And so this is why it's critical, the African independence workforce, 
uh, program is critical to all this. It's, it's critical to the African Liberation Day. It's critical to our future as Africans over here in this country because we have to feed, house, and clothe ourselves. We have to employ ourselves. We have to own and control the mechanism of production and distribution. Uhuru. Uhuru, thanks for everything you said today, Abdullah. And just one last question. What do you want to say to those African brothers and sisters fighting for their freedom uh, behind bars right now? Yeah. So what do you want to say to those brothers and sisters? Uh, thank you for that, uh, for this opportunity to make a statement to these brothers and sisters that's incarcerated. So what I want to say to them is Africans unite. What I want to say to those brothers and sisters is Vanguard up. What I want to say to them is African up. You know, what I want to say to them is reclaim your identity. What I want to say to them is join the African People's Education and Defense Fund, join the African People's Socialist Party, become yourself, be yourself, do for self, you know, rise up, stand up, get up, you know, vanguard up, you know, do whatever you have to do to reclaim your identity and, and be uh, be patient, be, you know, get you a plan of action. You know, why are you incarcerated? You know, be trying to learn skills in farming because we need farms. We need to be able to produce our food, learn things about selling stuff and, and doing for self. You know, try to get some type of skill that you can come out here and use to feed, house, and call yourself where you can become self-employed, you know, and resist. You know what I'm saying? Resist, resist, resist. Don't ever give up. Don't ever quit. You know what I'm saying? Don't ever stop doing what you need to do to be an African, to be, you know, that woman that you are, that man that you are. Never let the colonists, you know, demoralize you. Never let the colonists vilify you. Know that you have an identity other than the identity that they try to impose upon you. We Africans. Right. And we African internationalists and we are proud people. We are dependent, uh, uh, independent people. And we able to do whatever we set our mind to. Like Marcus Garvey said, up, you mighty nation, you can accomplish what you will. So all we have to do is have a will to do something and we're going to accomplish it. So we got to unite. We got to recognize that we brothers and sisters. We can't fight each other. You know what I'm saying? We got to love each other and we got to do for each other. And that's how we're going to uh, rise up as a nation. Uhuru. Thank you. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Abdullah Alexander. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.